0: Good to see you today, and uh, hope you can stay awake in your comfy seat this morning. We were uh, planning to wait a couple more weeks to bring the chairs in until the carpet was in, but uh, we had listed the pews to try to give them away, and another church came and got them on Monday. So we said, well, we need something to sit on. Uh, I didn't figure you'd want to stand with me all, all morning, so we went ahead and moved the chairs in, so we will have to do a little moving in and out over the next couple of weeks, but uh, I'm thankful for all the folks that came and were able to help and get them moved in, and uh, glad you can have a spot to sit. So what it does, it adds quite a bit more seating in the same amount of space. So it makes everybody feel more spread out. But that's okay. We'll fill it back in. That's kind of been our uh, our process around here. So we're thankful for that. We're glad that you're here today. Let's begin in a word of prayer. Ask God to bless our service, then Freddie's going to come and read to us from God's Word, and then we'll have a time to worship the Lord together in song. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praise unto the Most High. Lord, it is good to be together and to worship you on this Lord's Day as we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, it gives us a reason to gather, a reason to rejoice, and most importantly, gives us the hope of eternal life, because our Savior had power over sin and over death, and He offers that same gift to all who will trust in Him. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know You as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would put their faith in You and trust in You for salvation. Lord, thank You for the opportunity to be able to sing Your praises. Help us as we sing to be giving you the honor and glory as we lift up your praises and as we think about your great goodness and mercy and love to us. I'm thankful for this church, Lord. Thank you for your work in it and through it. I pray that you'd use us in a mighty way, Lord, to further your work here and around the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Freddy, you come
1: O oh Lord our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens! Out of the mouth of bays and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth.
0: I love singing those songs of devotion to the Lord and thanking Him for His deep love for us. We sang the song, I Am Thine, O Lord. If you're paying attention to the words of that song, that was quite a commitment you just made to the Lord, at least in your words, and I hope that you can make that same commitment in your heart that uh, we sang about spending time with the Lord in prayer and in His Word and spending time each day with Him. We sang about how He has done so much for us, and we can only give back to Him. I hope that that's your heart this morning, and that's your desire. And I'm so thankful for many people who are serving the Lord in so many special ways. I was encouraged this week uh, by many different things. One, of course, we moved a lot of pews out, and brought some chairs in, but I'm thankful that those pews were able to go to another church. And we just get, they were given to us, and we passed them on, gave them on to somebody else, and, and uh, so they can use them. Uh, in their uh, worship of the Lord and it's just a chair but it's nice to have a chair to sit on and I'm thankful for that I'm thankful for people this week that helped in planning and preparing for future projects that we're going to be doing this next week we're Lord willing going to be making some changes to the sound booth try to make a little more space for fellowship in the back so we're just going to shrink it down a little bit I wish it was that easy we just shrink it down a little bit but uh, at the end of the week hopefully that'll all come together I'm thankful for people. I was encouraged this week of hearing from several who were meeting and encouraging one another and studying God's Word together. It's a blessing to know that your church is reading the Bible and studying the Bible and growing in the Lord, and it's not just reliant on Sunday morning to be all of their spiritual encounter with God for the week, but they're trying to do that on a daily basis, and that's a blessing to know. I'm thankful for people this week who were able to be out and sharing the gospel with people. Heard of many who shared the gospel with others this week. I had the privilege of leading three people to the Lord this week. That was a blessing, and I'm thankful for God at work. Pray for those folks as I get to go visit with them this next week and try to encourage them, help them grow, because we want them to grow in the Lord. I'm thankful for people who have given to prepare for this day, even today, to teach in junior church or to work in the nursery or to prepare to help work and serve in so many ways. I'm thankful for people came up and cleaned this week. Brother Larry does such a good job taking care of our building and making sure everything's right, and we just don't miss a beat around here when it comes to that. I was sitting here singing and just enjoying the instruments this morning, and and Brother Lewis, that that, uh, flute this morning was just fantastic. It was beautiful, and I'm thankful for that. And Thank you for using your talents for the Lord. Some people say, I don't want to play that. People are going to think I'm strange, but I'm thankful that He's not worried about that, and he's a blessing. He's not strange at all. It's just a blessing, and it's a blessing to our worship and to our folks, and of course, all the other instrumentalists and people that came to sing in the choir. And, and just so much work goes in to be able to sit here and to worship God. And that's a body working together. We had a, Brother Ed had a pretty full class this morning, it looked like. And uh, I don't know if it was the kolaches or the teaching, but they were here this morning. Right. That's right. Next. Next week will be the real test, so we'll see. But I know, I'm sure it was a blessing this morning. I'm thankful for his preparation to be able to teach that this morning and other people preparing to teach tonight and to teach throughout the week. And God is doing some wonderful things. And if you don't see it, I want to encourage you to get in and, uh, and be thankful and, and get walking with the Lord and allow God to encourage you. I, may, I know you may be going through some difficult things. Many people are. But know that God is good and that He loves you and wants to help you, and and He will if you'll walk with Him and give Him your life. It's a wonderful thing. So, Brother Ed had his kickoff this morning for class. Tonight we'll have some more classes beginning. I'm doing a starting point class. If you're new to our church and you haven't gone through that class, I'd love to have you join me for that class tonight as we uh, study through some things together of who we are and, and what we believe and where we're going as a church And I know that'll be a blessing to you. If you've been through that class, but you'd like to take some more steps in spiritual growth, one of the most important things about your faith is being able to share it with somebody else. And if you have faith, but you don't know how to share it with somebody else, we have a special class for you tonight on sharing your faith and on sharing the gospel with others. And I hope that you would uh, make some plans to be a part of that class potentially tonight. And then Brother James is teaching the class for all of the spiritual giants who uh, feel like they've just gotten to the point in their life where they don't need to grow anymore. And uh, I'm teasing because sometimes we get to that place, don't we? And James was telling me about how he's been studying through this book and uh, using it as a format for teaching the class. And so he's going to be studying through different passages of Scripture each week and dealing with sometimes what we call respectable sins. In other words, it's the sins that aren't really that bad. I mean, there's those really bad people over there but I am not that bad. And yet, oh, sin is sin, right? And uh, we all need to be growing and all need to be challenged. And so it'll be an encouragement to you, but I warn you, it'll probably be convicting as well. So you might want to wear your steel-toed boots or something tonight so your toes are safe and don't get stomped on too much as uh, he's going through that tonight as well. Our children will be in classes. We just have started a new children's class as well. And and uh, divided up our children into little bit of age groups as well and thankful for extra teachers and workers and all those things that come together to make that possible. God is good and He's building His church and I'm thankful that He's made you a part of it and glad that you're here this morning. And uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here today and uh, just hope that the service is a blessing to you. Let's dismiss our children out if they're going with Uh, Brother Josh and Sister Anna to Junior Church and uh, let's take our Bibles turn to the book of Colossians Colossians chapter 1 this morning last week we finished with this idea in verse number 18 that in all things He might have the preeminence we want Jesus Christ to have first place in every area of our life This morning, if you've got some notes, you can follow along. I I have a lot of scripture verses that we're going to look at this morning. Our text is going to be Colossians 1, verses 19 through 23, and uh, I'm going to put some of the other scriptures on the screen as we go through them, but I would encourage you on the back of your paper or something, make a note of some of these verses, because we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning, and you're going to want to take some time to go back and study this on your own, because really... This is one of those messages where I went back and forth and think, is this too much? Uh, you know, it, it, should I break this into a few other things? This a lot. So I hope you came ready this morning. Buckle up. We're going to go quickly as we look at this scripture and open up wide because I've got the fire hose ready and it, it's coming. So, uh, but I hope it'll be good because it'll be full of scripture and be full of the word of God this morning. Hopefully, it'll be a help and a challenge to you. The title this morning is this, Making the Impossible Possible. There are a lot of things we look around and we might think, well, that's impossible. I don't know how that could ever be done or how that could ever take place. But we're going to talk about how something that was impossible through God, He made it possible. And just to give you a hint, I'm, maybe I don't even have to preach. I'm going to give it all away ahead of time. Here it is. But what was impossible that He made possible is the fact that He reconciled us to Himself. We're going to talk about reconciliation this morning. Maybe with some of you this week, it was time to reconcile your checkbook. And uh, you pulled that out and, and you were reconciling. You had your receipts and you were making sure that everything matched up with your bank statement and everything looked like it needed to look. I remember growing up and seeing my mom doing that at the kitchen table and working those things out. Now, a lot of people do it on the computer, but it's still important that you reconcile your statement, your bank statement with your checkbook or your credit card statement and make sure there was no fraud or issues on the account. You want everything to match up and be equal. Here in Colossians chapter 1, this idea of reconciliation is more than just a checkbook, even though that kind of gives the basic idea. It's really bringing two sides that are at war with one another together. And the Bible is very clear. We'll look at some scripture this morning that says that we were enemies of God before salvation. And so He reconciled us to Himself. Sometimes we don't like to think of ourselves in, in that serious of a light. Well, I, I wasn't really that bad. I wasn't God's enemy. Well, well, God says you were. So let's not argue with God this morning. And we'll just agree with Him that what He says is true and let's think about then what God has done in our lives and, and through Jesus Christ to make this reconciliation possible. Let's go, begin by reading Colossians 1, verses 19 through 23. The Bible says, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. We could stop right there, and I almost did and just said let's, we should have a whole message just on that verse. Some Bible scholars will say that verse 19 of Colossians 1 is the greatest verse in the entire New Testament on the deity of Christ. The fact that Jesus is God. It pleased the Father, that's God the Father, that in Him, that's Jesus, should all fullness dwell. In other words, all of God is in Jesus Christ because Jesus is completely God. Now, Paul is making this statement to the church at Colossae because uh, most believe that there were some heretics trying to come into the church and preach that Jesus was not God. I think you're going to see this morning why it's so important that Jesus was God. But you're also going to see why it was incredibly important that Jesus was also man. The God-man. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. How does this work together? Why does it matter? You'll see that in Colossians 1, 19-23 this morning. But he said, It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, verse number 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. Right there we see the humanity of Christ, his blood that was shed on the cross. By Him, here's our word, to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. That's not the only time that word is used, though. You'll see it again here in the next verse. Look at verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated, here it is, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, God says we were His enemies. Yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Notice verse 23. Because there's some question about what this is referring to and I think it's very clear, but I want to take some time on this at the end of the message. Verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." This word, to reconcile, this verb here is the idea of bringing two warring parties back together again. Even in the ancient Greek days, and it's used in today's language as well, to reconcile also is used in the idea of a marriage that's broken up and a husband and wife are going different directions, maybe headed towards divorce, and we say they reconciled. That may help us understand the idea of two warring parties coming back together. To reconcile, this word is used several times in the New Testament. We see it used in the book of First Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Second Corinthians, chapter five. It's used several times there, and again in Romans, chapter five, and verse ten. But both of those times, it's just the simple verb form, reconcile, to reconcile. But here in Colossians, in the Greek here, there is a an emphatic uh, preposition that goes on the front of this word. And you say, why are you getting in the Greek? Why does this matter? Well, he's, being, he's adding extra emphasis to this idea of reconciliation because of the heresy that was in the church at Colossae that was a belief that God or, or that Jesus Christ wasn't God and that God, while we believe in God, we also believe in all these sort of lower and lesser gods and these spirits emanating out and all the way down to the devil. And Jesus wasn't the only way to heaven. You had to sort of get through these different levels of of spirits and make your way to God. And it's not true. It's not in the Bible, but that's what, what was being taught here. And so Paul is making extreme emphasis on this point. These people, you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. No other way. It's like the passage of Scripture that says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. He's putting emphasis on this reconciliation here. He's saying that total, complete, absolute reconciliation comes through Jesus Christ, And Jesus Christ alone. For in Him, verse 19 says, should all fullness dwell. He's God and He is able only and without any other assistance to reconcile men to God. It says He made peace by the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. This passage is a wonderful passage on the gospel, on the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, there are five different words that are often used to describe the gospel. And these five different words describe different aspects of how the gospel works. Let me just give you these. It's not in your notes, just by way of introduction. One term that's used in the New Testament is the term justification, justification. Justification speaks of the sinner who stands before God as the accused and is declared righteous. God, the righteous judge, says, you are righteous. Another word that's used in the New Testament that speaks of our salvation is the word redemption. Redemption. The sinner stands before God as a slave and is granted freedom As a ransom, that's redemption. I'm thankful for the redemption that we have through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He paid our ransom. He redeemed us. A third word that's used in the New Testament to describe salvation is forgiveness. Forgiveness. The sinner stands before God as a debtor, and the debt has been paid or forgotten. That's forgiveness. We have a debt, a debt of sin that we could never repay. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But He offers forgiveness. He forgives the debt. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word we're going to focus on this morning, the fourth word that the New Testament uses to describe salvation is reconciliation. Reconciliation. This is the, the sinner who stands before God as an enemy and becomes a friend. Peace with God is made. And the fifth word or idea that's used in the New Testament to describe salvation is that of sonship or adoption. It speaks of how we've been adopted as sons and daughters. The sinner stands before God as a stranger and is made his child, made his son or daughter. <clears throat> Forgiveness deals with the fruit, the sins of our lives. He forgives them. Redemption deals with the root. That's, that's the condition of our nature. As slaves to sin, he frees us. He deals with the fruit. And the root of our problem. The fruit is what everybody else can see. The root is what causes that problem in my life. Reconciliation deals with our condition. We became His friends. We now enjoy fellowship. We were His enemies, now we're friends. Adoption deals with our position. He makes us heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All together, this spells justification. Fruit and root, condition, position. When you got saved, everything was taken care of. He took care of your fruit. He took care of your root. He took care of your condition, and He took care of your position. Now, some of you say, well, that was a lot. Well, you just got a whole semester's worth of seminary soteriology in about five minutes, and there's a lot more we could go through on that. But for some who have studied longer, you may say, yes, that's exactly right. For others who say, that's kind of new to me, I would encourage you to make some notes on those things. And as you read through the Gospels, as you read through the epistles, and you read about the Gospel at work in people's lives, you'll see all of those things coming to bear and working together. And it's a beautiful thing how He took care of our root. He took care of our fruit. He takes care of our condition. He takes care of our position. He took care of it all when he saved us we're going to talk about specifically reconciliation this morning one commentator said it this way no one is holier than a sinner who has received god's salvation i'm thankful for that because sometimes we look at ourselves we say we're a mess and we're right we are i'm a wreck i got problems i don't know what to do if you are saved this morning, no one is holier than a sinner who's been forgiven of his sins. Positionally, conditionally, fruit, root, he took care of it all. doesn't mean we don't still sin. It doesn't mean we still don't mess up. We don't have problems. But in Christ, we have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. He's reconciled us to himself. We once were enemies, but now we are his friends, praise God. I'm thankful for that. He's made the impossible possible. So I want you to notice, and these, this is where your notes pick up this morning, four aspects of reconciliation. Four different aspects we'll see in Colossians chapter 1 of reconciliation. The first one is this, the plan of reconciliation. The plan. Notice in verse 19, he says, And in him, it pleased the Father that in, all, that in him should all fullness dwell. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. We see the plan of reconciliation here in verse 20. He had a plan to reconcile all things to himself by Christ Jesus. When God made everything, he made it good. In fact, if you go back to the book of Genesis, he didn't just say it was good. He said it was very good. But if you're honest and you look at the world today, could we say that this world is very good? What happened? Sin happened. Sin happened. This world is not very good, even though it was created to be very good. That's why we need reconciliation. So God had a plan of reconciliation. Sin entered into the world. The world rebelled. The universe was cursed and alienated from God. But God will clean it all up someday. In fact, it's not just the people He cleans up. He'll clean up the world itself. The Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that amazing? He's going to reconcile all things to Himself. Like it says in verse 20, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. All things, everything is coming back to God. All of it by Christ, a totally redeemed, restored, reconciled universe. God is going to, in a sense, make friends with the universe again. How's He going to do this? By Him, by Christ. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, because... Maybe as I say these things, the whole universe and creation, I don't know. I'm not sure That's, that sounds a little out there. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Why is this creature waiting for the sons of God? It says in verse 20, <coughs> for the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly <clears throat> the frog in my throat just crossed his legs sorry not willingly but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope verse 21 because the creature itself shall also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. He's he's speaking about His creation, even the animals. Notice verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. Earthquakes, floods, pestilences, outbreaks of diseases, all kinds of things going on In this world. This world is groaning. Travailing. It's like the birth pains here. Why? Because of the curse. But there's hope. There's hope. There's hope for reconciliation. He makes the impossible possible. He does it through Jesus Christ. Groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they. It's not just the creation. But ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit. How do we know that Jesus is coming again? Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Bible's very clear and we can see it in the world around us. This universe is winding down. It is breaking down. It is falling apart. This whole universe is waiting to be restored by God. Ephesians 1, verse 10 says it this way that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. All things. All things. It is in Christ and by Christ that this universe was created, and it is in Christ and by Christ that this universe will be reconciled to God. The heretics around Colossae were saying that the true nature of the universe was that it was dualistic. You know what that means, dualism? There's good and there's evil, and it's just this eternal battle between good and evil. And in fact, they were going so far as to say spiritual things, things that you can't see, are good, and physical things, things that you can see, are bad. That's what they were teaching. But he's making the point here that Jesus Christ, who was God, spirit, who's also man, he's humanity, he's God in human flesh, through him, by him, would all things be reconciled to himself. In the book of Revelation, we even read that someday the Bible says that the lion and the lamb will lay down together. Why is that going to happen? Because of Christ. All things are reconciled together in him. 2 Peter 3.13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, so what about all things? Because He says He's going to reconcile all things to Himself. Some people will take this and say, Well, that just means everybody's going to go to heaven, right? He says all things. How do we deal with this? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Well, Of course not. The Bible never contradicts itself. But sometimes we come across passages like this and say, Well, help me to understand this. Well, always use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. If you're struggling in one passage of Scripture to get some understanding, don't be afraid to keep reading and read other Scripture and see how Scripture helps you to understand Scripture. So he will reconcile all things to himself. But I would say this, He he will reconcile all things to Himself of those things for whom or for which reconciliation is possible. Not all can be reconciled. What do you mean by that? Well, look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19 verse 20 says, And the beast was taken. And with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The devil will not be reconciled to God, because he doesn't want to be reconciled to God. The Bible says in Revelation twenty ten, and the, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, there's another group of people that will not be reconciled. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. It's, it's easy to think about the devil not being reconciled. But you know, there are going to be some human beings that are not reconciled. Revelation 20.15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, some would say, I I don't like that part. I want the devil going there, but that doesn't sound like a loving God. No, God is love. He's working to reconcile us from the problem that we created called sin. He loves us so much that He sent Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, to reconcile this world to Himself. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we have to acknowledge the truth of God's Word and soberly look at it and realize there are those who will not be reconciled. Why? Because their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But I want you to know this morning, if you'll trust in Jesus Christ, your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life and you can have the confidence that you will be reconciled to God because He will reconcile all things to Himself. There's a plan of reconciliation. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, "...and having spoiled principalities and powers." He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The act of Christ on the cross was enough to reconcile the entire universe. But this will only be valid to those who believe. Jesus Christ died for all. He he died to pay for the sins of the whole world. But only those who believe in Jesus Christ and accept His free gift of salvation Get to experience that forgiveness for themselves. God's not excluding people, they're excluding themselves. They're excluding themselves. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 says it this way: to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them. He didn't put their trespasses on them. Instead, He's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, in verse 21, back in our text, in Colossians chapter 1, I know I've looked at a lot of other passages, but Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, He demonstrates to us or shows us what this reconciliation looks like for us. He says, and you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath He reconciled. He took a bunch of enemies, a bunch of people who were against Him. Notice, we were enemies in our mind. Why? By wicked works. By our own sin. Anybody who would say, I've not sinned, is wrong. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. So to try to say, well, I, I haven't sinned, or I don't deserve this. You're wrong. I want to say that in as much love as possible, but you're wrong. You have sinned, and it was in your mind, but it was also by your wicked works. We've got to be honest about our problem. Somebody said the first step in In dealing with a problem is admitting that you have one, right? If you won't admit that you have a problem, there's not much that can be done to help you. If you don't admit, you know, when you're out in the pool, help, I'm drowning, it's hard for the lifeguard to know, oh, I I need to go get that guy. In fact, they even teach you as a lifeguard, I was one, um, that sometimes when you go out to, to save somebody, you've got to let them drown a little bit more before you can save them. And they say, why do you do that? Well, sometimes they won't let you save them. They will fight you off. And, they've even, and there's been times lifeguards have lost their lives trying to save somebody else because they wouldn't let them save them. They wouldn't just let the lifeguard pull them in. They fought them and pulled the lifeguard down and then they both drowned. So they, they teach you in the class. They said, if, if somebody's really combative and fighting you about this and not really, in a sense, letting you help them with their problem... You don't let them die. That's not what they teach you. Just let them burn up some energy and strength so that they don't hurt you and in so doing hurt themselves. They have to first admit they have a problem. And then after you know you have a problem, you have to admit that Jesus Christ is the only answer to your problem. Just like that person in the pool, they may be drowning. They know they have a problem, but until they will relax and let the lifeguard save them, A lifeguard can't do anything for them. Why? Because some people admit they have a problem, but then they try to solve it in their own strength. When you're drowning in a pool or out in the ocean or somewhere else, you're beyond doing it in your own strength at that point. You need somebody else to come in and save you. And the reality is is this. Spiritually speaking, we are all unable to save ourselves. We're beyond help. The Bible says we're already dead. We're dead in our sin. If anybody needs saving, it's a dead person. And he comes in and he gives us eternal life. We've got to admit we've got a problem. And we've got to admit that Jesus is the answer to the problem. Because there are a lot of people today who will take that first step and at least admit they have a problem, but then they try to solve it in their own way, don't they? Well, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I go to church. Well, that's good. There's going to be a lot of church members that don't go to heaven if they're not trusting in Jesus Christ. Going to church is a good thing, but it's not good enough to get you to heaven. Amen. There's nothing good that you can do to get yourself to. You can't do enough good. I've talked to other people. Well, I, I'm just trying to be a good person. I've done a lot more good things than bad things. Okay? That's, that's nice. That's good. Glad for you. I'm glad that you're not a terrorist. I'm glad you haven't robbed any banks. I'm glad that you haven't killed anybody. But unfortunately, that's not good enough. What do you mean it's not good enough? The Bible says even our righteousness is as filthy rags. You can't do enough good. It's only by Jesus Christ, His reconciliation through His death on the cross that we can be brought into fellowship and be friends with God. We are the living, (laughs) breathing proof of what Christ will do for the universe. The fact that He reconciled me, that He reconciled you. If you're saved here this morning, your testimony is proof to a lost and dying world that God saves sinners. Paul said it this way, and such were some of you. He he gives a list of all these sins and talks about all their problems. and 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 he says, and such were some of you. Some of you used to be there, wicked people. As Christians, let us not forget what Jesus Christ has done for us and continues to do for us. To reconcile us to God. Because our testimony is a testimony of what God can do for somebody else. How sad it is for someone who claims to be a Christian to not live like a child of God. Because in effect, they're saying to the world around them, yeah, he reconciled me, but he didn't really do that good of a job. (laughs) Because I'm not really changed. I'm, I'm still the same as I always was. Folks, if you've been saved... You've been changed. The Bible says it this way. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You say, well, you mean I, if I'm saved, I've got to change how I live? Yep, in the strength of God. Why? Because you're a child of God now. The plan of reconciliation Before you were a Christian, you were alienated from God, cut off, separated. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 say it this way, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, very clear, no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off, Are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Oh, I'm so thankful for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ to reconcile us to Himself. If Christ can reconcile you, He can also reconcile His creation. When you're unsaved, though, the Bible says it very clear here in Ephesians 2 that we're alienated from the life of God. In other words, there's no such thing as an innocent unbeliever. We're all sinners. Verse 21, we already read it back in Colossians 1, says we're enemies in our mind by our wicked works. The Bible says elsewhere that men love darkness because their deeds are evil. All mankind is alienated from God by their own sin. Isaiah 59, 2 says this, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Romans 8, 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So to reconcile mankind, you must deal with sin. Something must be done with this problem. God is not the problem. God's never been the problem. God's always the solution. He's always the answer. Our sin is the problem. In order, though, for me to be reconciled to God, I have to be transformed from being a sinner... To being righteous but that's only part of it because reconciliation is bringing two parties together and also in order for God to allow me into his presence his wrath must be appeased God has great wrath towards sin because it's contrary to his character he's holy we are not so something has to be done with his wrath and something has to be done with our sin to bring us together so that we could be friends of God 2 Corinthians 5.17, I already quoted this, but I want to read verse 18 as well. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Notice verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Man is transformed and God's wrath must be dealt with. How can both of these things be accomplished? The fact that I'm a sinner and the fact that God hates my sin. We know that the Bible teaches that sin requires punishment. So, we must remove the sin of man and appease the wrath of a holy God. That's a problem. That's impossible except for God, but God. He takes the impossible and makes it possible. He fixed this problem by pouring out His wrath on His Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Therefore He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. This is how He dealt with this problem, the problem of our sin, and the problem that God has great wrath towards sin. How does He deal with both? He took His Son, Jesus Christ, His great love, made Him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You can't reconcile yourself. It's only through Jesus Christ. So we've seen here the plan of reconciliation. Don't worry, that's the long point. Number two, we see the means of reconciliation. The means of reconciliation. He died as a sacrifice. The next verse number 20 says he's made peace through the blood of his cross. This was his sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 11 and 12 says for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without gate. Jesus died as a sacrifice. Now, let me just make a point. This may not seem like a big deal, but this is a very important point. He died as a sacrifice, not as a victim. He gave His life for us. Someone might want to say, well, those mean, bad Roman soldiers, they just captured him and Judas betrayed him, and there was nothing he could do, and they took him in, they put him in, in, in court, and, and uh, they, they was wrong, it was false, but they nailed him to the cross. What could he have done? Jesus was not a victim. At any time, he could have come down from the cross. At any time, he could have called legions of angels to come and wipe out the whole world. At any time, he could have walked away from it all but He gave His life up. He even said it in His own words as He hung there on the cross there at Calvary. Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. He laid down His life. He gave His life for you and for me. He didn't die as a victim. He died as a willing sacrifice says there in verse 21, his, I'm sorry, verse 20, having made peace through the blood of His cross. This is not to deny the fact that He did bleed. This is not to deny the fact that He shed His blood. This is not to deny the importance of His blood that was shed on the cross. Rather, it's to help us understand what it really means. His blood was the sacrificial death of the final lamb, the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He died as a sacrifice, but he also died as a substitute. A substitute. That's important for reconciliation. He gave his life as a sacrifice, as a ransom for many. He also died as a substitute in the body of his flesh, Through death. He died as a perfect sin substitute. He died as a man and he died for mankind. He died in our place. God has been appeased and I have been transformed because a man died for mankind, but it was the Son of God, God in human flesh, who died the perfect sacrifice and the perfect substitute. On the cross for our sins. Our salvation is only possible through the death of Christ on the cross. So we've seen the plan of reconciliation. The means of reconciliation. I want you to notice the aim of reconciliation. What was this purpose? Look at verse 22. We're moving quickly now. He says at the end of the verse, "...to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable." In his sight. There's three words there holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. This was his purpose in reconciliation. Holy deals with our relationship to God. We couldn't get to God unless we were holy, but we're not holy in and of ourselves. He's made us holy through Jesus Christ. That's our relationship to God. Unblameable, that's our relationship to ourselves. A lot of people walking around. With a lot of blame. It's because they don't know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If you've been saved, your sins are forgiven. They're under the blood, the Bible says, and He remembers them no more. Don't let your past define your future. Don't let where you came from say, well, I'm no good because of all this blame. No, He took your blame too. He took it all. And his desire through reconciliation, the aim of reconciliation is to present you holy before the Father and unblameable in yourself and unreprovable. This deals with our relationship to others. Unreprovable. Who shall lay any charge to God's elect? In Christ. I'm I'm unreprovable. Now, do I still go out and do my own sin? Yeah. But I confess it and forsake it and find mercy. It's under the blood. It's forgiven. That's not a a license to sin. It's not a a free get-out-of-jail-free card so I can just run around and and do what I want. The Bible's very clear about that. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No way. Never. Never. But it is an encouraging thing because as we all know, we fall, we fail, we mess up. And the old devil, he likes to come in and creep in our room at night when nobody's around, church is over and, you know, we're tired and we're discouraged and we're frustrated and upset. Say, see, see what you did? You're not even really a Christian anyway because if you were, you wouldn't do that. And yeah, you, okay, you may be a Christian, but you're not any good for God. Because you've done all these things. Everybody knows about it. You probably should just go sneak away to a different church or go hide in a hole somewhere. Or just, yeah, just go, go, go away. Because look at all these things that you've done. The Bible clear. He calls him the accuser of the brethren. And he's been doing it for thousands of years. And if you think, well, I'm just such a spiritual giant, it doesn't bother me anymore, you are deluded. <laughs> you are mistaken. Because <laughs> it bothers all of us. And Sometimes we come to church on a Sunday morning, we try to put our happy face on, and we look at all these other people's happy faces and think, man, look at all these spiritual giants, what's wrong with me? You should just come home with us this afternoon. You'll see we have the same problems you do. Because we're all just people. But in Christ, we're reconciled to Him. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Oh, reconciliation is such a a wonderful doctrine, such a wonderful truth, such a wonderful thing to think deeply about this morning. Because it's this reconciliation that reminds us that He is presenting us holy in His sight. That we are unblameable. That we are unreprovable in Christ. Not in ourselves, but according to what He has done. I'm so thankful for reconciliation. I like how the Bible says it in Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And I already referenced this verse, but verse 33 of the same chapter in Romans 8, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. People think, well, I'm just going to do enough good stuff and God will like me. It's God that justifies. That's why you feel so beat down all the time, because you're trying to do it in your own strength. You're not strong enough. We need the Lord. I mean, think about this. How how arrogant would it be if somebody walked in this morning, if I walked into church this morning and I said, Good morning. My name's Pastor Will. Will. I am holy, unblameable, and unreprovable this morning. You would look at me and say, what a nut, what a jerk. Let's go find another church. He can have all of his new seats and there'll be nobody in (laughs) them. But won't it be great someday when we walk through heaven's gates to be able to look around at the other believers and say, Hi, I'm Will. I'm holy, I'm unreprovable, I'm unblameable, finally, in Christ. It's coming. It's coming. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. It's going to be a wonderful place. And I think it's important that we live in the reality of heaven every day. Somebody said, well, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. I, I kind of understand what somebody means by that. But if we don't understand the aim of this, where we're going, where we're headed, this whole life just feels kind of useless, doesn't it? But he's put us here because he has a purpose for us and a plan for our life. We're about to get to that. Number four It's our last big point. We have the evidence of reconciliation, and that's what verse twenty-three is about in Colossians one. The evidence. How, how do you know it's happening? How do you know that God is at work in your life? Verse twenty-three. If you turned your Bible somewhere else, go back to Colossians one. He says, "If you, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled." And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, him made a minister. How do you know reconciliation is at work in your life? You continue. You continue. How do you know that the Holy Spirit is real? You feel Him working in your heart, giving you direction and help. I know what it's like, and you probably do too. There's times you say, oh, I don't know, I, I don't feel it, I, I don't see it, I'm struggling. So that's when I continue in obedience to what God's Word says. Get my Bible out. Say, God, I need you. Speak to me through your Word. I know you can. All right, things have been a struggle lately. It, it feels like it's quiet. I don't know. Hey, God, have you left me? No, God never leaves anybody. We leave God sometimes. Somebody said it this way, if, if, if you feel like you've lost God, just go back to where you left Him because that's where He still is. He, he hasn't moved. He doesn't change. But we get out our Bible and we say, God, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? What choices should I make in this situation? That's why He's given us His Word. And The Bible says He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in His Word. I'm not talking about just living out your faith based on your feeling. Because if you do that, it's like a roller coaster ride and it's no fun at all. You'll be sick to your stomach most of the time. Now, sometimes the feeling is really good. Sometimes it's not. But it's building your faith on the fact of God's Word and what He says. If ye continue in the faith. Grounded. That's an idea of being firmly rooted, attached to the ground. You've ever worked with electricity, you know the importance of having a good ground. If you have a loose ground, it can cause all kinds of problems. Firmly grounded, settled. That's one of the reasons we encourage people to get together and study God's Word together. In fact, surprise, surprise, the title of the book is Continue. I wonder why. Because maybe we need to continue. That's the evidence of salvation in our life and the process of reconciliation taking place is that we continue. This is not speaking about that you can lose your salvation or that it can be lost. He's just saying that if you want to experience the evidence of reconciliation in your life, you will continue in the faith. If you're not continuing in the faith this morning, you're going to be struggling spiritually. It's just as simple as that if you're not rooted and, or settled and grounded, it's going to be a struggle. It's a struggle anyway, right? But if you take God's Word out of it, if you stop praying, if you stop walking with the Lord, you've moved away from your father. Little children far away from their parents, things don't generally end up too well. I mean, be back close to daddy where it's safe and secure, and they feel His loving arms around Him, feel His comfort, His love, and His encouragement. This is how we know the evidence of reconciliation. James says it this way in the book of James, that we are to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. First John 2.19 even goes as far as to say this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. What he's saying here is there will be some that may walk away from the faith entirely. He's saying perhaps they never had the faith in the first place. And it just became clear to everybody else that they never had it. 1 John 2, 24 says, Let that therefore abide in you that which ye have heard from the beginning. In that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. He shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. This idea is repeated many times over and over in Scripture. If you are truly saved, you will continue. You will continue. And if you're struggling with that this moment, Well, what have I done? Reconfirm your commitment to the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. If you're not sure if you're of your salvation, make that sure this morning and then exercise that confidence by continuing in the faith. Don't be ashamed. The devil loves to come around people and shame. Oh, yeah, see, you prayed that prayer when you were a little child. And you told everybody you're a Christian, you came up and got baptized, and now you haven't been living for the Lord. And, and so you should just keep in it because if you were really saved, you would live differently. And people go round and round and round and those kind of things in their mind. Folks, don't just trust in some prayer. Don't just trust in, well, I think my mom told me one time that I did this or this happened. Know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. Let it be real in your heart and in your life and continue in it. And if you haven't been continuing as faithfully as you should, ask God to forgive you, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Say, God, I'm here. I'm ready to serve you. I'm ready to follow you. I want to continue. I want to be grounded. I want to be settled. I want to be solid in my faith. Help me live for you. Let me just give you... Five things quickly about reconciliation in closing. You're going to find these over in 2 Corinthians. So If you want to just turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read some verses there to you. As we point out these five things that we see, five truths about reconciliation. Number one, uh, reconciliation transforms people. It transforms people. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. That's a transformation. That's a transformation. Look down at verse 21. It says, "For." Verse uh, of 2 Corinthians 5, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Not only does reconciliation transform people, it also appeases God's wrath. It, It deals with the problem of God's wrath. We are made the righteousness of God in Him. The third thing we see about reconciliation is that it comes through Christ. Look at verse 18. It says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. Notice verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Reconciliation comes through Christ, but I'm so thankful for this next one. Reconciliation is for anybody. Nobody's beyond the reach of an almighty God. We look at people sometimes and go, well, I think they're so far gone. I don't know if there's any hope for them. Reconciliation is for anybody. Notice in verse 14 he says for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge if That if one died for all, then we're all dead. Notice all were dead, but notice he died for all. Reconciliation is for anybody. It's for anybody. I'm so thankful it was for this buddy. And I'm thankful that his reconciliation is good enough for all of you and for all this world. It's for anybody. Oh, that ought to motivate us, shouldn't it? To go tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I'm so thankful for it. And in fact, we see that. That's our final thing this morning. Reconciliation is something God does for us through Christ Jesus, but it is our ministry. He's given it to us. He didn't just say, all right, uh, we've reconciled you together, and uh, you and God, and so now everything's good with you and God, so go on about your business. No. say, well, that sounds like a good point, but here, let's look at it in the Bible, because we like to have Bible reasons for what we do, don't we? Verse 18, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, Here it is. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, it's a gift from God to be able to tell somebody else about Jesus and lead them to Christ. That's a gift from God. I think God's powerful enough. If he had wanted to come up with a different way to save people, he could. He could have just gone around, kind of picked them out. Hey, he's pretty good looking. We'll save him. She looks all right. We'll save her. But that's not what he did. He said, This reconciliation is for anybody. Doesn't matter if you look smart or otherwise. Doesn't matter if you're tall or otherwise. It doesn't. No, I'm teasing. It's for anybody. It's for anybody. But it's now our ministry. It's something that we get to share with this world. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He says at the end of verse 19, He says, And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And then in verse 20, He says it this way, Now we are ambassadors for Christ. This is our job, this is our ministry, this is our word, this is who we are, it's what we live for. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're not here to represent ourselves, we're here to represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world and the Reconciler of the universe. It's why we are here now, it's what our job is for. Isn't it good to have a purpose and know why you live? I would hate to wake up in the morning and think, well, I don't even know why I'm here today. I know why you're here today. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's a good reason to live. That's a good reason to live. I get to help introduce enemies of God to the one person, Jesus Christ, who can make them friends with God. They may not all like it because they're enemies. But I believe this world is... Full of people too that are just tired of fighting, and they're looking for some hope and some answers. And they need somebody to go tell them, say, "I'll be an ambassador. I'll carry out the ministry of reconciliation." He's given it to me; it's a gift. But I, like any gift, you got to take it and use it, right? All of us have Christmas presents that somebody gave us. I don't know what to do with this, and we gave it to somebody else, and we threw it away, we put it at Goodwill, that's a bad thing. Be careful about that. If you ever go to Goodwill and see something that you gave someone else for Christmas and still has the tag on it, you're going to feel pretty bad about it. Think, I worked hard. I I thought about this person. I gave them this gift. I think even worse than that is when it shows up at the white elephant gift exchange at the Christmas party. (laughs) That's what they thought of my gift. But think about this. I, I believe God does have feelings. I think the Bible speaks a lot about His feelings. How do you think God feels when we take the great work of reconciliation that He has given to us and we just take it and say, well, i got more important things to do. I mean, I know He's giving me this, but it's kind of a lot of work to figure this out. I don't really know what to do with this. Here, we'll let the pastor deal with that. He can minister reconciliation. Folks, you're missing out. You're missing out on the gift this morning. Don't miss out on the gift that is the ministry of reconciliation. I think after being saved, one of the greatest things in all the world is getting to lead somebody else to Christ. It just is. And I know some people, well, I'm not sure what to say. I don't know how to do it. That's why He's given you the Word. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you your own testimony. And we already talked about that, of what God's done in and through you is a testimony to the world. But oftentimes we carry that shame and blame around and say, well, I can't tell anybody because if people really knew how I was. They wouldn't want this. No, if they knew where you came from and they knew where God had put you now, that might be the greatest thing in all the world to help point them to Jesus Christ. It's not about focusing on ourselves. It's not like, well, let me tell you, I had the worst story. I was the worst person. You know, I I did all these horrible things. Sometimes we're like, well, my story is just not that dramatic. I, I don't have that big of an event any time god reconciles somebody to himself is a big event because he took something that was impossible and made it possible and that's yeah. a great story to tell he's given us the ministry of reconciliation are you using that gift have you taken it and say yes god's given me this maybe it's because you're here this morning and you're not really confident on whether or not you've been reconciled to God. We've heard what He's done. We've heard how He's done it. We've heard His aim, His purpose, His plan, all of it. All that's waiting for you now is just to accept it. If you've accepted Him as your Savior, now let's take the gift that He's given us. He's reconciled us. Take that ministry to the world. You can't take money to heaven. Can't take your car to heaven. I heard of one lady. She said, that's why I don't wear a seatbelt. Because if Jesus comes back, I don't want my Ford hanging on behind. That's not how it works. Wear a seatbelt. It's good. But you can't take any of those things to heaven. But you can take those people that you win to Christ. You can take them with you to heaven your children, your grandchildren, your relatives, your neighbors. I mean, do you only want to live next to that person for now? You're like, yeah, I really don't want to live next to them in heaven. Oh, share the gospel. I know not everybody wants to hear, and some will reject. But think of the great love of Jesus Christ, who loved us even though they hated Him, they mocked Him, they scorned Him, they beat Him. He did that for you. And if somebody looks at you funny or says, don't talk to me about that, at least you've had the chance to share with them the truth that can change their life. And that's that's a great, great thing. The ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, help us. This is a grand concept in your word. So much meat on these bones. I feel like we've only scratched the surface this morning. But I pray that you'd take these truths and begin to work them deep into our hearts today. Challenge us and change us through your word as we've been reminded and encouraged and helped. Maybe for some, this is the first time they've even considered what this idea of reconciliation means. I pray the Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's never trusted in you as their Savior, they wouldn't leave here without knowing for sure that they're on their way to heaven. Lord, for those who have trusted in you, I pray that we would be faithful to take this ministry of reconciliation, this word of reconciliation, this great responsibility as ambassadors of Christ, and take it to the world. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The piano's going to play. This is our time to respond. We have an invitation because we need to follow God. Some will want to come and pray up here. That's fine. I encourage you to come. For some, that's a very helpful thing to get up out of your seat, walk up in front of everybody and, and pray and ask God to help you. That's part of that commitment to the Lord.